recent death of Rush drummer Neil Peart hit me like a ton of bricks. While I consider myself a visual artist, I can't think of a single painter or sculptor or photographer whose death has or even would affect me as dramatically as Neil's has. And I can't really reconcile why that is. It's just not a simple answer. I've been a Rush fan since about 1982, but as I've said before, it wasn't the music that grabbed me initially, but the lyrics. Yes, the musicianship is superb, but the themes and the language that Neil used to explore those themes was unlike anything I'd ever heard or, more to the point, read before. There was also the timing of it all. That time in my life when who I was or was becoming had not yet solidified. I was still malleable and curious and full of wonder. All of this has gotten me thinking about the ways and degrees in which others inspire us throughout our lives. And I thought it might be interesting to spend some time unpacking that a little. I'm Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. talk about Neil Peart? I, I do, actually, although it may not be for the reasons you think. I mean, it may, but it may not. <laughs> like everyone else who heard the news, we were shocked. And it's it's almost as if we, we felt that we should have known that he was ill. But yeah. given what a private person he was his entire life, we should have been able to to somehow experience or witness or or be a part of his illness, not just learn that he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that feels kind of strange. But what what I keep one of the things like, I mean, first of all, it, it hit me really hard, you know, like mm-hmm. so many other people. And this is kind of what I what I wanted to talk about. A couple things. Um, and we can circle around these. Number one, if this didn't hit you hard, is there someone for whom you would be dramatically affected if and when they die? A celebrity, let's say, not a family member. Um, and and the other side of it is, I keep trying to figure out why some affect us more than others. Because there have been a whole host of people who have been wildly inspirational to me for many years of my life who have died. But for some reason, Neil Peart's death just absolutely wrecked me. Yeah. The 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 day of and and for much of the day after. And again, I'm not really sure what makes that so different. Uh, I mean, I remember when Saul Leiter died or when Fred Herzog died, people who also inspired me to a great degree. But there's something about Neil. Maybe it's that period of time when I discovered them, that period of time in, in my life. I mean, what he was talking to, to Strombo in an interview and he said, we are who high school makes us. <laughs> and... Whether or not you you uh, agree with that or to what degree you agree with that, that's when I discovered Rush. They were the first band I ever saw live. Um, I saw them with my best friend, Mark, and 38 years later, there we were again at the Forum in Los Angeles seeing the last show on the last tour that they would ever play. And 
you know, little did we know what was to come, but still there was a, there was a finality to it that I do remember being affected by that this is, this is a, a nearly four decade relationship that I've had with, with this trio, with this music, with these lyrics, with the ideologies and the inspiration that came along with it. And I, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I just thought you might have some interesting insights and feedback or perhaps questions about it that we could unpack. Yeah. Um, the, I always associate music with places and, and points in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think this comes entirely from like an influence on, if you want to say movies, where the music we're listening to currently becomes the soundtrack that we almost plays during, like when the memory, when you think of that time, like almost like the memories. Sure. You, you hear the stuff, the, the songs that were going through that period of time. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense for me knowing sort of your personality that the individuals that define those soundtracks mm -hmm. would have a huge impact on you on, yeah. at, at their death. Yeah. Even more so than like the visual greats like like to me like if you i could i could be see being sad about like say saul lighter mm -hmm. but i don't and maybe i'm wrong about this you i don't think saul lighter influenced you as a human being more than Rush did. Oh, not even close. Band. Yeah, no, not yeah. even close. I mean, it was it, I, and I've said this before. It was, it was Peart's lyrics that I fell in love with before, or more so at the time than the music of the band. That was, it was the lyrics. It was the art direction. It was, it was the ideologies that were being written about and espoused in those lyrics that took me in directions that my, you know, then young mind hadn't thought about yet, you know, mm -hmm. um, and not just Ayn Rand, which was a, a, a big part of that, but, you know, the books by John Barth and John Dos Passos and, and the little literary quotes that were thrown in and, and references to other literature and, and, Neil's attitude toward reading, you know, here was a guy who is in this monster rock and roll band. And when he's not on stage, he's in the hotel room reading. There was something yeah. that captured me about that, that you didn't have to have this, this, you could still have this real life, this real sort of introspective life. And me being an introvert, an extroverted introvert, as Adrian likes to call me, <laughs> um, that really spoke to me. You know, that, that, that you could weave in 
these ideas and themes that were not par for the course in your typical sort of rock music. Mm-hmm. And that spoke to me. And, and I remember when, you know, like so many others in, in so many other young men, let's say in, in my age group, when subdivisions came out, when Tom Sawyer came out, when song after song, theme after theme, they just, they spoke to us. And, and because you were sort of on the outside as a, as a fan of that music, we were kind of all on the outside together. And there was, there was a, uh, there was a collective, a, a, a solidarity in that somehow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the, uh, you know, our, mm-hmm. our, our king, our prince has died. Our, our figurehead has died. And, and, you know, there is, there is that sort of adolescent voice asking, well, who now speaks for us? Who, who will now represent us? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get that. But I would almost ask the question of whether anyone can speak to that level for you anymore. Man, that's a great question. That's a great question. Because I feel as as a human being ages, you almost become calloused to the inputs around you. Mm-hmm. Because your own your own ideas, your own thoughts, your own like influenced by everything around you, but is informed to such a higher degree that your opinions become more sturdy, if you want to say, mm-hmm. to the influences of others, for better or for worse. Sturdy. That's a great word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that there might be, there might be only, a, there might be a certain window of time that someone could be impacted to the level that you were impacted. Yeah, it's a very strange thing to think about because this was also a time that I was discovering Hemingway and Shakespeare and Faulkner and Moliere and, and you know, all of these other sort of literary giants, but I can't recite their work verbatim, mm-hmm. whereas most of Neil's lyrics I can there was something about that 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 sunk deeper that 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 clawed harder onto my you know adolescent subconscious that has allowed it to just stay there do you think he's if you want to say closer to you as a human being than any of like hemingway or shakespeare i don't know because we know so little as as the public we know so little about him we got little glimpses you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the little lines here and there, the famous, you know, I, I can't pretend a stranger is a long awaited friend. You know, that gives us some insight into his personality, but we don't really know. I don't, I don't really know a lot about him other than what little I've seen through, through the relatively few interviews he's given over the past 40 years. I mean, you can glean some of it through the writing that he did, like in, in Ghost Rider, when, when, for those who don't know, uh, Neil lost his his first wife and, and his daughter within four months of each other. 
and just shut down, uh, rightfully so, and got on a motorcycle and just rode for years, hundreds of thousands of miles to try and make sense of it, to try and regroup and come back to some semblance of normal. And in that book that was, that was written out of that ghostwriter, uh, we do get some insight into what's important to him and what he valued and, and the type of person that he was, but I don't, I wouldn't say that there's a, you know, there's a, a familiarity there it, other than what we see and, and read in the, in the words that he, that he wrote in lyrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this sort of goes on to the, our previous conversation last week, where we're talking about sort of being open to inputs mm-hmm. and to sort of answer one of the questions in that you had on this was that because I w- music was never a big thing in my life because my parents weren't into music. So like as a kid, my parents had a record player, but I never remembered it being on hmm. when we were in the car it was either talk radio or like a baseball game mm-hmm. on the radio. Mm-hmm. You know, it was never music. That was just not a thing. So is, is there somebody then for you outside of music that that's somebody in the public eye that, that would have that kind of impact or has had that kind of impact if they've died already? So like, I've been thinking about this as you asked this mm-hmm. and the closest one might be Joe Rogan. Really? And, okay. Yeah, and I cuz you you've spoken very highly about him in the past. So I've listened to his podcast for like when I was in the the trade desk, we were allowed to listen to whatever we wanted in headphones. Mm-hmm. So like I was consuming 6 to 8 hours of podcasts a day. Wow. And you know, I mean that's where I found OTP was mm-hmm. during that, you mm-hmm. know, like that stretch. So and he like it was one of those where like a lot of the big profound changes in my life come from I have come you know been like kicked off by thoughts and ideas that he's had hmm. and so because of the just sheer impact on my own life, that might be the closest one. Did you, like in your adolescence, we're talking, you know, sort of junior high, high school, Mm -hmm. were there figures that impacted you in, in a dramatic way, in the same way that, that Rogan has later in life, or because maybe because you traveled so much, you, you, you were, you were kind of preoccupied with that portion of it. I mean, how did that work for you growing up? Um, so growing up, I like it. I had a weirdly insular life because I was homeschooled. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I would definitely listen to the radio by myself and like take in, you know, other inputs. It wasn't like, I, you know, it wasn't like the classic picture of homeschoolers that are completely unaware of the surroundings. Right. So it's very different than that. But like I was also working at 14 mm-hmm. in like warehouses. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I come come from, like, a very sort of super, like, blue-collar, like, working class, definitely lower, lower middle class, you know, 
I know ne- we never were poor per se, at least that I was aware of, but we're definitely, I was very aware that we didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, Relative to what, it, it, since you were sort of homeschooled and then, and then working at a, at a young age, was it relative to the community that you lived in or how did you make that distinction that lower class was what it was or lower it, middle class was what it was? It was one of those things where once we moved back to the United States, I only remember one vacation per se, mm-hmm. you know, for 12. So let's see, you know, from the time I was like 12 to when I went to college, there was like one vacation that was to go see my dad's family up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just one of those things where like if, if I wanted something, I had to work to get the money to get it. Right. Like I said, it's not a negative. It's just, it will, it is what it is. Right. Right. That, but it sounds idea. like it made for a shortened or abbreviated childhood relative to the norm, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I would, I would say so. And like my parents were very good at, at treating me with as an adult as opposed to a kid. Mm-hmm. So like our the conversations where, you know, I remember sitting at the table and the family talking politics, you know, at a young age, you know, or but you being a part yeah. of those conversations, not just yeah. a a casual sort of passerby. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. So like, it's weird to think of it from the standpoint of like childhood influences like Mm -hmm. that because there's definitely some books i read as a as a kid that you know maybe you count of it but like i in some ways i feel like i've i've accumulated influences later in life as i've gotten older Mm -hmm. but i don't have those profoundly i don't feel as a i have as as stark of influences as maybe you do mm-hmm. that you could look at and say these were my influences right 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 you know is there some sort of connective tissue between the inspiration and dreams of adolescence and youth and the way it sounds like rogan and some others inspired you later in life are you able to make those connections or or when when you hear me or anyone else for that matter uh, sort of romanticize these these childhood influences and i don't know i guess inspirations is it just completely foreign to you it it feels a little more foreign to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because i was always a very sort of like i had ideas of what i wanted to do and i was always very driven to do them but like some of them like so uh one of the I wanted to be a fighter pilot from the youngest of ages. Mm-hmm. But then my eyes started going and, you know, I wear glasses now, you know, and like it was at the point, you know, I'm old enough to wear LASIK was a crapshoot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> this could go either way, but if you're cool yeah. with it, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it, like it wasn't like one of those things where it's like, $200 for each eye. Like right. That, you know, that wasn't happening. Right. And then it would, it was to be an athlete. And I, you know, I don't possess those rare physical abilities. 
I'm good, but like I don't possess that, you know, that one percent of one percent of athletic abilities sure. to to reach that level. So in some ways, like, you know, those were those were my if you want to say adolescent dreams. And you know, the reason sort of Rogan so profound was that at the point in my life a lot of the decisions that I had made uh, to got that got me to the place I was at were often like almost reactionary. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I started off in college wanting to be an engineer and it, that didn't happen. So I ended up finishing in with the basically business engineering degree and then a friend got, who was working in finance at the time got me a job. And next thing you know, I'm in that. And like at that point in time, I was very overweight. And like it was one, it was very much a he, he it, Rogan, particularly at the time. I mean, even now, but like the message I got out of that was that I wasn't I in order to change where I was at, I had a I it empowered me to change the choices I was making mm-hmm. and that regardless of what I felt, I, I possess some ability to change with that. And so like from a very real possibility, r- real point of view, I started eating better, lost weight, which would, which had been the first time since I stopped playing rugby that my weight went down, mm. you know, like, to where it was like this very real like choices you make impact the life you are living. Right, right. It w- it sounds like it was a a practical inspiration versus the sort of ideological inspiration of youth. Yeah, yeah. The closest thing I could think of like that type of level of inspiration of like that just blows your mind was Ian Ruther, which mm-hmm. we talked I, about. Yeah. In fact, I was going to ask about that. Where does, where does Ian or even Ernst Haas, where do they square relative to Rogan in terms of how you see influence on your life? Those, those guys are, are much more the, the blow your mind type of inspiration mm-hmm. where, um, are you familiar with the term black swan? You know what it's referring to? No. So, so other than that horrible movie, <laughs> very different than the movie. <laughs> very different than the movie. But at one point in time, they thought swans were only white. Okay. Because every swan they had seen was always white. So they're just they're, the natural assumption was swans only come in white. Until one day they found a single black swan and then that single black swans basically nullified everything they knew about all oh, th- those millions of swans that had previously come before them that single swan had changed their perception on that mm-hmm. and there's a great book on it the term black swans now often refers to sort of events outside the sort of normal distribution like crazy Katrina level hurricanes would be okay. a black swan black swan events okay yeah 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 but in this context i had an idea like 
Ernst Haas. I had an idea what photography was. Mm-hmm. Then I saw Ernst Haas work, and I have a very different idea of what it was. Ah, uh, okay. Like, so like, it, it sort of nullified, not nullified, but it sort of questioned all of the other photography that had come before it in your mind. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. It it basically said, this is what you thought was possible. Mm-hmm. And now there's a new possible, which in my head, I think feels more like what the, if you want to say childhood in, or youth inspiration, you know, that, that level of inspiration is to, for kid, not kids, but you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 When you brought up something about inputs earlier and do our abilities to receive inputs dull over time do, do do they do do we sort of are we at peak input at any particular point in our lives because the the model would suggest that middle school high school because you're you're learning yourself and learning who you are and where you want to go and what you want to be and all of there's that's combined with all of this sort of possibility that's sort of peak input or peak inspiration but it sounds mm-hmm. like your experience has been at the very least different to that is input dulled over time to you i think it can be mm-hmm. like i don't i don't think there's an uh uh, uh, like a rigid sense of like, stru- like there's no rigid barrier that would prevent someone older sure. from from receiving input. It seems that we are in this period where there are more and more midlife breakthroughs, midlife success stories mm-hmm. of people finding that thing that lights them up. Not in their 20s, not in their 30s, not even in their 40s, but into their 50s. So it seems like there's this sort of shift in input and inspiration and possibility away from adolescence and towards midlife. And I know I'm probably butchering the way I'm saying it, but I think you know where I'm going with it. Yeah, yeah, no. I think that the 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 beautiful thing about the internet in general is that there's so much more input available to be received. And I think that we, especially with like, I think podcasting has been instrumental in the, in the ability for people to get exposed to ideas and people that, that have the ability to change their lives at a higher frequency than ever before. Because imagine 50 years ago, if by the time you're 20, unless you change jobs, you had a prescribed set of people you interacted with. And I think that's now very different. And, you know, the ability to one day be on your podcast app and they'd be, say, a top recommended or say your friend goes, hey, check out this podcast. And then you you download it and you literally have people in between their ears talking about anything you could ever dream of. John, I, I've spent 10 hours listening to Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. It's, it's one of the best podcasts I've heard in a long, long time. And, you know, yes, it's, it's an interesting life uh, led by Dolly Parton, but it's also Jad's skill as 
a podcast host and producer. The, the, those two things sort of collide and produce this thing that if you had asked me five years ago or 10 years ago, hey, do you want to listen to, you know, a 10 hour story with Dolly Parton? I don't know that I would have said yes. Mm-hmm. But we find these things and we, we, because partially because there's so much input, because there are so many uh, sources of input, we get to pick and choose. But, but man, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be inspired. Yeah. In, in, uh, in my life. It's, it's a different type of inspiration than it was when I was younger, but there's more of it now. I, I would completely agree with that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, on top of that, you have, you know, for so long, there's been such strict gatekeepers to mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. to where it is the period of time where the most amount of information and inspiration is available to you and the the least amount of gatekeepers preventing you from doing something mm-hmm. you know the just think of like you know music you know film 30 40 years ago in order for your music to be heard by more than a bar you would have you would have to be one say one of 20 people you know that the record companies decided was going to be the the stars yeah the it thing promoted yeah. yeah it would take a lot of money thrown at it it would take a lot of moving parts a lot of people in the background helping that happen yeah and now you can have a youtube channel and literally be you could put some, a video out and a million people could watch it right and like that is that is honestly crazy you know it is crazy uh, i i think one of the one of the downsides to that is everyone wants to be the star of their own sitcom <laughs> and, and i <laughs> yeah uh, there are a lot of people that I don't want to watch or listen to, but the, the, the vehicle, the delivery mechanisms that are in place now, if you want to go and, to your point, record a sitcom or a talk show or your own EP or a pod, like whatever it is that you want to put out there, it can either be done solo or you can find other people that want to be involved with it and get it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It may not be great, <laughs> but that's no. okay. Yeah, no, and that's that's the that's the crazy part about it is that, and and it, it requires this: you can do what you want to do with the least amount of restrictions that's ever existed in the history of doing that thing, mm-hmm. but at the same time that doesn't equate to it being easy. And I think, I think in some respects that also messes people up. Yes. I, I remember like when, when I got, <laughs> when I got a copy of signals, it was one of four or five records that I owned. So that meant it was on heavy rotation. If I was listening to something other than the radio, because I didn't have you know, at, at that point, we didn't have 
the totality of music available at our fingertips to stream whenever we wanted. Mm-hmm. So I think the one of the downsides of having everything available to you is it does become more difficult to really become close to and affected by one thing because you can so easily move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder how many, like, I'll use the term millennial not as pejorative, but just as a de- delineation of youth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder how many can sing an entire album. I mean, that's a great point and a great question because the album culture, a lot of artists would argue that it doesn't exist anymore. I watched an interview with um, with Sheryl Crow the other day, and she was saying that she's going to stop making albums. She'll still continue to make music, but the idea of of putting together 15 songs, boxing it up, you know, and and packaging it and selling it is sort of counter to the way people now consume music by adding single tracks to playlists. The idea of sitting and listening to a full body of work by an artist has largely gone away. Yeah. Like I could, I know I could, there's a couple of like the green days dookie. Mm -hmm. I know the entire album. Like there's a couple of them where it's like even a, even a obscure, even a lot of like radio hits that that come on from like a period of time when, you know, when I worked in the warehouse, the radio was just blaring, mm-hmm. and it was only on a certain number of radio stations. Right, right. So whatever they were spinning was you literally like I could I know every word from those right. albums. Well, and Adrian, growing up in Maine, she said that when they were growing up, they had three television stations. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, to kind of go back to the beginning of this conversation, I wonder if the kids now that are in junior high and high school, 30, 40 years from now, will they have the same kind of experience that we had 30, 40 years ago with being so deeply inspired, influenced, connected, whether that connection was real or imagined to a singular artist or personality or because there is so much and because we live in this sort of, you know, click, like, click, like, click, skip, click, skip kind of mm-hmm. mentality. Have we lost that ability or or have we diminished at least that ability to really deeply connect with those people? Because we don't really spend enough time listening to watching reading etc them yeah yeah i don't know um you know i think that's one of those where i'd love you know i need to start asking some people Mm -hmm. um and see how that see how that changes um but yeah no it, it would it would i wonder if the i wonder if the bands would almost I wonder, like, it, that's one of those weird things where, like, from a band perspective, they've increased their their potential reach to fans, but also simultaneously decreased their impact. Right. De- decrease the overall connection because there's so much choice and that choice is so readily available. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, sticking on music for a minute going, you know, you, you had to physically either get on the bus or walk or get on your bike and go to the record store and search through whatever you wanted and then buy that physical thing and get on your bike or get back on the bus or walk back home to listen to it. And, mm-hmm. and it, because there was a, it, it, there was a transactional nature to it. It cost money. It cost time. It cost effort. You, you, if not treasured, you at least held on to the value of that thing, you know, in, in the same way that, that when, when more people shot film, there was a dollar amount. There was, there was an effort associated to making pictures. You, you bought the film, you put the film in, there was all kinds of things that could go wrong. You had to pay to get the film developed. You had to wait. So there were all these things that were working in concert to make the experience more than just an immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know where that leaves us, but I've been thinking about this for days, weeques. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Years. (laughs) Uh, My first, this first thought happened when I was 12. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's. Could you qualify going back to, to Ian and Joe? Mm -hmm. Could you qualify or, or is there a measurable difference in impact that one has had on your life over the other being that one was uh as as we kind of talked practical inspiration versus sort of ephemeral or artistic or existential inspiration is there is there one that because of the nature of the inspiration hits you harder or or is is deeper in you um i think rogan was the was the first to get the ball moving that allowed the impact for the others going forward. Mm-hmm. At that point in my life, I felt very trapped by the choices I'd made, mm-hmm. both career wise, food wise, like all of it. And once, once I believed that I had the power to change my lot in life through the choices and the, what I focused on, that opens the world up and that that gave me this it gave me this world that that i could explore and push forward in that then the the impact of the others following sort of pushed me further along that Mm -hmm. and i think the i think the challenge is that for people who and I've had plenty of conversations with people who are often, you know, some of them are even younger than me, where they can't see past the choices they've made. How do you mean? The world it has a single direction to it. They're like, I need my lot in life is I I work here and I'm going to go to school to get this job. And then the, that degree is going to take me here. Like there's a very almost prescriptive nature to mm-hmm. the world. Very linear. Yeah. And, and I think that once, when you accept the world to be that linear, it's, 
it sort of nullifies these outside inspirations mm-hmm. to where you can't actually hear them. And so that once, once I could almost accept, like accept that I had the, I had the power to change my lot in life. That's, that's the, the space that opens up to allow me to, to use that inspiration. Mm-hmm. Have you ever given any thought just as little more than a thought experiment of, of how that would have been different had the results not been as dramatic on the back of that inspiration? Um, yeah, I don't, hmm. that's a great question. I don't, to be honest, I don't know. Um, I think that, that because I, you know, it was one of those where like, you know, to, I, through hearing Rogan every day, I found Tim Ferriss and Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss had a weight loss program and I literally dropped, I think it was like 25 pounds in a month. Wow. And like that, that feeling of, of doing what you had previously would have considered impossible. That, that just one, it's almost like once you accept that magic exists, then the whole, then the entire, there's magic everywhere. Right. I don't, I don't know if that even makes sense, but no, it does. It does. The the world becomes exponentially larger because it's filled with exponentially more possibility. Correct. Yeah. And, and so like if, if I were, if I were to not have succeeded in that stretch, I hope that, that I would have chosen to, to just keep on working at it until I figured out something that would have worked. I hope like that's how I hope I would respond to such a setback. Mm hmm. But I, to be honest, honest, I don't know. But that's <laughs> that's from, from what I, I know end. about you. I could see that being the case. You know, I mean, there because there. One of the things I love about your personality is, a, you love solving puzzles, but b, you can always find a puzzle to solve. So, so mm-hmm. it's sort of a, you know, it's it's a Rube Goldberg machine that that feeds itself. There's always another puzzle, and you are motivated and energized by solving puzzles so that you have to just keep solving the next puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like I said, it, it, I, I would, uh, I would hope, you know, uh, I would, uh, I would have done, you know, taken that and moved it forward. But, you know, you know, you, you know, it's a, it's that weird thing where you never know exactly. Right how how one would respond on on the back of that how has how has that adolescent worldview how has the john of you know the 80s and 90s how has that worldview changed on the back of being able to sort of reclaim that power in yourself and move forward and and see results of that i think the biggest thing is that it reclaims the sort of wonder of possibility that youth possesses Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the beautiful thing of like, you know, that summer of you just graduated high school, potentially going into college. It's scary, but there's literally a world of possibilities. Right. 
you know, the, it's, it's one of those where like, you know, you could do, you could do a million things, you know, and, and that's the, that's the crazy part about it. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that as you move farther away from that point in time, the sort of the daily grind of life tends to focus you on the, like the day to day, like, right. Oh, it's Monday. I need to put the garbage out. You know, like I got this bill coming up in the next week. Like instead of going, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And, and like, and once you, once you accept that you have the ability to determine where your life's going to some extent, of course, I think it gives you license to, to sort of recapture that those dreams or that those thought process of just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It, it always reminds me of, um, uh, Jason, have you heard of Jason Silva? Yes. Um, he kind of blows my mind. Oh, uh, I listen to his videos and I'm like, I need to rewatch that immediately because <laughs> right. I have no idea what he said because I'm still like, and it's, and from what I understand, it's just off the cuff. He's just rambling, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. For the, yeah, I think so. But he, he had this, he had this quote that I, I don't even think it was his per se, but he just said it. So that's what I think of. But he said that imagination is basically dreaming up the best future possible and then pulling it into the present. Hmm. And and that that's the that's one of those where it's like, how can I do more of that in my life? Right. How do we hold on to that? Yeah. I love that this sort of epiphany happened for you when it did, because it sounds like and it's it's not surprising. These things sort of tend to happen when they're supposed to, right? It's, it's the, uh, when the, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears kind of thing. Yeah. If, if they had happened or if, if this moment had happened for you to you when you were 15, you likely wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. That's a very real possibility. It still fascinates me though, how, how we connect to certain people and why we connect to certain people, never having met them, never having known them. We make a series of God, I don't know, educated guesses about how they might or how we might be in their presence. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, I feel that with any like perfect example when I the first time I met you in Philadelphia when you had an OTP meetup. Oh, at the uh, the Strand exhibit. Yeah, exactly. It was like one of those things where like, one, I had no idea what you look like. Right. Like, I'm just meeting a bunch of pe- other people that I have no idea who they are. But but it was one, it was one of those things where you'd walked up and you started talking to you, to someone else who you knew. I forget, I forget, forget who might have been. But it was one of those where you, you said something and it was like, my brain goes, oh, that's the guy. Oh, from <laughs> the voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then it was almost like, picking up a conversation mid thread Mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh, we've been having a conversation. It's been incredibly one-sided up to this point, but it it's a conversation. Right. And now we could have it in reality. It was was one of those crazy experiences. Yeah. 
Honestly, I think that's one of the beautiful things about podcasting is it can be as sort of distant or as personal as you allow it to be, I guess. Uh, more and more shows are doing live events and you can get tickets to them and go and go see these people that you spend hours and hours listening to. And I've hesitated to do that because I, I wonder how it will change the relationship or my, the, the perception that I have of, of at least my side of the relationship with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't have any evidence to support that because everybody that I've ever interviewed or had a conversation with or recorded with that I have met in, in real life has been fantastic. Every, and I'm friends with many of them, if not most of them. So I don't know where that sort of apprehension comes from, but there are certain people that I just, I'm staving off, <laughs> actively sort of staving <laughs> off meeting them. I don't know what the fear is, is of or for, but, but there's definitely an active sort of resistance to that. Yeah. There, there's definitely some people who are like, you almost, in my head, I almost like Rogan be one of those where you're like, I almost don't want to meet Rogan because mm-hmm. that is m- almost going to be set myself up for, for disappointment. Right. You know, cause I've literally listened to him thousands of hours. Would you share your story with him if given the chance or would that be too much? It, it's one of those weird things where it's like, like part of me goes, it'd be, he'd be nice to hear that he like, he's changed someone's life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's a, the only thing you could really, really respond with is cool. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you like it? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Because you, you, you want him to acknowledge and maybe even appreciate the effect and the results of that effect that he's had on your life, yeah? Yeah. But it's one of those things where, like, that's not why he would want to talk to me. hmm You know? Would you feel more comfortable coming in as a peer rather than as a fan? Like, if, if there was some opportunity where you could either be on his show or he's on your show like something where it's more sort of professional and less i'm just coming to shake your hand after a after a show kind of thing would that make it maybe easier or or less pressure to to have it be something other than what it is yeah i would i would i would say so Mm -hmm. like it in it's one of those where, like, in my head, I would go, the only way I'd really want to do it is if I earned the right to be on this podcast as a guest. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of those yeah. where, where like, I did something that he thought was cool. Right. You know, so like... That yeah, it's got to be a, a Joe event, not a Mr. Rogan event. Yeah, like... it. It's like one of those things where it's so much easier when you meet someone's who you admire their work and they also like your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it, it in some ways it evens out this weird power thing. I don't even know how you'd want to define it as, but you know, it, 
like it it definitely changes it up as opposed to like fan versus someone else right you know like that type of you know relationship i think that we are in a position where that is that happens more often than it used to mhm i think we're in a position um where technology and media has allowed that to be less of an outlier type of experience it seems to be anyway mhm yeah yeah i would i would agree with that you know it's it's a, it's the same way like you meeting a photographer that you like makes it easier makes the conversation easier if they've heard your podcast or at least we've had a conversation prior to recording so that there is some degree of familiarity. That's, that's why I do that. You know, mm-hmm. even if they've never, I mean, cause the odds are that they haven't listened to the show. Right. But yeah. in that sort of pre conversation conversation, y- you do get to say hello. You do get to see that other person's cadence. You get to see kind of how you get on there. there it just takes some of the, it takes some of the edge or or coldness out of when you do actually record and yeah. and i have found that i with very few exceptions have you know had those kinds of conversations and and it it works out so much better um mm-hmm. because you don't feel like going to a press junket and it's like okay you're interviewer number 4275 go you know and you've got your 4 minutes there there's a there is a familiarity, albeit, you know, a brief familiarity, but it's not just coming in cold. Yeah, exactly. Conversations are always better when you don't have to do the, like, early dance to figure out everyone's <laughs> style. Right, right. You know. It's... I mean, that that can be fun, too, but I think it's a it's a different kind of experience. If somebody's really good at and this is going to sound, I don't mean this pejoratively. If somebody's really good at small talk, I think that they, they can excel if you've only got that four minutes or five minutes or whatever it is, you know, 10 minutes. But I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not very good at that kind of conversation. I tend to listen to myself, think things and ask things in my head before I get them out. So I need more time to... uh get to where I want to go and I want to spend more time listening and sort of reacting rather than, well, here's, you know, question number seven, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's why I typically, I'll have ideas when I go in, but I don't have questions going in because I don't want it to, to be prescribed. And I don't want to just come in and, you know, ask the same question that you've answered 47 times and are bored of. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. <laughs> Or if we are yeah. going to ask that question, then maybe there's a different way to ask it that takes that answer in a different direction. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the uh, the whole inspiration influence, you know, adolescent versus adulthood. That's fascinating to me. I'm going to be thinking about this this question about inputs for a while now because I haven't really. I haven't really thought about it. And it's, it's fascinating that you had, you had a similar experience to, to that classic adolescent experience as an adult. And it's carried you 
and inspired you and, and has had actionable and measurable changes in your life. Yeah, very much so. It's the beauty of, of coming from very different places. Well, and it seemed it from, from the way you explain it, and this is kind of, you know, one of the thousand reasons that I'm talking to you, it didn't seem different for you. It seemed absolutely normal. All of our experiences sort of seem normal when we're in them, Yeah. but it sounds like you were aware from, from pretty early on that, that yours was not the norm. Your way of experiencing the world wasn't the way that everybody else experienced the world. Yeah. And like, that's one of the, you know, we could get in later things where later time, but like, I'm self-aware enough to know that I, I didn't come from the norm. Mm -hmm. And especially early on, you know, that probably meant, meant that I felt weird and out of place. But as I've gotten older, it just means I'm more interesting. You can subscribe to In Between in your favorite podcast app. Or you can get every episode of In Between along with my other shows, Process Driven and Iterations, all in one feed by subscribing to Jeffrey Sidoris' Everything. Help support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen to podcasts or by sharing it on social media. Connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sidoris, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on my website at jeffreysidoris.com. If you've got questions or feedback or maybe an interesting story you'd like to share, email me at talkback at jeffreysidoris.com. And if you'd like to connect with John, you'll find him on Instagram at John Wilkening, that's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G, or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you being here, and we'll talk to you on the next one.